I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. That's the new single from The Coronas right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. The singer of that band, Danny O'Reilly, is my guest today. That sounds like a nice Irish name, doesn't it? Well, he's a nice Irish lad, and we had a great chat. The cool thing is the Coronas are one of the biggest bands around, but Danny O'Reilly has remained a gracious and humble uh, individual, and uh, talking to him was it was just cool. I really enjoyed our chat. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the Coronas. Maybe you know about them, maybe you don't. Okay, so let me let me bring you up to date. They're from Dublin. They put out five albums, and all of their albums have been doing better than the last. They're one of those bands. So the first album was Heroes or Ghosts. That came out back in like 2007. That hit 24 on the charts. Then Tony was an ex-con in 2009. Closer to You in 2011. Both hit number three. The Long Way came out in 2014. That hit number two. And then the new one, Trust the Wire, that hit number one. Not a bad career trajectory at all. Now, let me tell you some highlights about the Coronas, because maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. Uh, they're a pretty astounding band, and their resume is packed with cool stuff. Uh, here's some highlights. Back in 2011, President Obama visited Ireland, and the Coronas played for him. The crowd? Oh, I don't know. Somewhere between 80,000 and 100,000 people. They've opened for Paul McCartney, Justin Timberlake, and The Script. They played a record-breaking six nights in the Olympia Theater in Dublin for a series of sold-out Christmas gigs. Uh, they've played the Oxygen Music Festival, which is one of the largest music festivals in Europe. They've appeared on the John Murray Show. They've appeared at South by Southwest. And now they're appearing on Stereo Embers the podcast. I know, the highlights just keep stacking up. Uh, the Coronas are one of Ireland's best-loved bands, and the fact of the matter is the world is catching on. This band is winning hearts and minds wherever they go, and for good reason. Their music reminds me of a mix between the Psychedelic Furs and Jeff Buckley. They're emotive, they're melodic, they're catchy, and they're unforgettable. It's no mystery why this band is resonating with a global audience that is continuing to grow. So Danny O'Reilly was doing interviews all day. I was the last interview of the day. And, uh, you know, that can be a dicey thing. Sometimes a, uh, a band can be sick of it. They can be sick of, of answering the same questions over and over and over again. So I do my best. I don't work with questions. So I do my best to not walk down streets that have already been walked down by other, uh, other interviewers. I try my hardest. I just go where the conversation goes. And sometimes we take a cool right turn and, um, and something cool happens. And in this conversation, we do. And, uh, and Danny really opens up about, about uh, self-doubt. And about how even for a band as big as the Coronas, the very, uh, the very human feeling of doubt can creep in. And he's very honest and very open about it. And uh, I thought it was really cool to, uh, to hear somebody who's really at the top of their game. And their confidence should be through the roof to hear him actually admit that it's not. It was a really cool moment. Uh, sometimes you forget 
that people who are up on stage, well, they're just people like you and me. They just happen to be on stage. And just like you and me, they have emotions and they go through all the things that we have to go through as human beings because they're human beings too. So self-doubt is one of those things. And Danny opens up about how he deals with that because he talks about the idea that self-doubt is something that kind of creeps in. And when it does, it, it's intimidating. And he talks about how to, uh, how to cope with that and uh, how it actually can make us stronger as people. And what I really liked about this conversation is that he didn't try to get macho about it or try to like shrug it off and, and, uh, and say that he was stronger than doubt. He was very, very open about it. And I really appreciated his willingness to, uh, to break it down. So enjoy the conversation. Danny O'Reilly talking to me on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Uh, dude, you already sold out my hometown of San Francisco. How did you already do that? That's uh, November. I have no idea. I'm so excited about getting back to San Fran. It's one of my favorite cities. My two uncles live there. I'm going to see all my cousins. And I've been to San Francisco a few times. And I, I could, I'm so happy that it's sold out. I, I, I can only assume it's my cousins and my uncles who are like spreading the word <laughs> and, uh, and, and getting everyone to come. But no, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a great show. It's right at the end of our tour. And and then we, from there, we fly over to Australia, and we've got some dates in Australia. So we're, we're really excited about it. It's going, it's going to be great. That must mean you have a large Irish family if you're able to sell out uh, San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've got four cousins. How big is the venue? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a pretty good size, actually. You're playing a pretty good venue. That's very cool. Um, uh, that's cool, man. Well, if you want to come down, I'll put you on the guest list. No problem at all. You're very kind. I will. I will definitely be there. Um, I want to uh, chat with you about the new record because it's phenomenal. I know it's been out for a few months, uh, at mm. least uh, in the states. Did it come out in Ireland mm. in June as well? Yeah, yeah. Came out. Came out here at the start of the summer, and uh, it's it's going really well, man. I'm, I'm, we're really proud of it. We've been promoting it ever since, and you know, uh, it's it's really cool. The tour has been going really well. We just got back from touring in europe we was just finished the uk tour and before that we were in germany and you know it's uh it, it's it's going really really well so we're, we're really proud of the album and we're delighted that it's getting a great reaction and as i say we're just we're so excited about the states now it, do you get sometimes like a little like emotional whiplash where like some places you're really well known and other places you're still sort of making your way you guys are a massive yeah. act back home but uh, and you're selling yeah. out san francisco but maybe you go to germany maybe you go to australia and mm. is it hard to tell or do you always know um, yeah, it's something that is hard to tell, but it's it's funny because, as you say, in in different territories we're at different stages. Um, you know, uh, like in Australia we'll play slightly bigger rooms than we are in in the states. Even there might be one thousand capacity or just over that. And in London, for example, we'll probably be around the same, maybe slightly bigger again. And in in Belfast even, but then of course in Ireland, we, in the Republic, we'll we'll be playing to really big rooms. You know, and and then as you say, in in some European countries, there might just be a hundred people there, you know, maybe three hundred or whatever. But it's uh, it, it's cool. We, we're happy to play to any size crowd that 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 wants to listen to us, and you know, we we love playing to you know playing different size rooms and putting on different size shows because they are different types of shows. And we put on a big show in Ireland, like in the summer, for example, we played in Kilmainham, which is like fifteen thousand capacity, and it was just in- incredible. Like, and, and we put on a big production, and we had you know, lasers and a lights show. And, you know, we make sure we put a lot of effort into the production. Then, of course, when we're on tour in the smaller venues, it's just us and no bells and whistles, just, you know, us, you know, you know, playing our, our set. And, and it's, uh, 
it's great fun, but uh, it's totally different. But I think it's good for us to be able to do both, you know. So what what do you do with the lasers when you go to a small club? You have to leave them have to leave them behind. Absolutely, yeah. You know, we we, we can we can't afford to bring them everywhere. <laughs> they there, they're probably <laughs> blind the people in in the in the audience as well. But uh, yeah, no, I mean it, it's funny that uh, that you know even like the the big shows will have confetti or or you know bouncing balls or will have different parts of the set maybe a B stage or something like that and obviously with the smaller shows there's just maybe a really simple lights package and it's just about us you know connecting with people and and I I love the different vibe in it but there's something about the small sometimes a, a small crowd you know might be 200 people in it but it could be a better gig than playing to 2000 people because you know, you just feel a connection and you can tell stories and you can see the reaction and, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's cool, you know, and, and, and a lot of the times, as I say, the small gigs are, are more fun. Do you have to make any adjustments when you're playing a smaller place? Do you, is there anything that you're conscious of that you have to not do or is it just organic? Um, yeah, I mean, we try, we don't think about it too much. I think we're sort of used to it. I mean, even in Ireland, we built up through the venues quite, you know, we played, we started in small venues and it wasn't an overnight success for us. So we built up through the venues and we got used to playing in every, in every different size, you know. So I don't think it's too difficult for us to adjust. Sometimes we'll need to adjust the set list and, you know, sometimes, you know, I think I, I, I think it's good in the smaller venues to listen to the crowd a little bit. And if I'm telling a story and someone shouts something up, I'll, I'll like I'll ask them what do they say and we'll have a conversation and, the, and crowd small crowds love that you can do that in a small room but like you know if you're up on stage in front of 10,000 people and you, and even if you do hear someone shout something up you can't really have a you know you can't bring that conversation to everyone because there's, there's no way the 10,000 people can relate to it but if it's in a 200 capacity room and someone shouts up play this song I can actually you know embrace that conversation just go no we're not playing that song it's crap or i can just go yeah sure we'll play that song or let's play that song or why do you like that song where are you from and, and start talking and, and people love that you know when you when you got started with the band was there a, a plan was there a plan in place or did this all happen did this take you by surprise and it was not an overnight success as you were saying it took a couple of years yeah. um was there ever a moment where you thought well we'll give it two or three years and then i'll i'll work in the bank or was there any was yeah, there a master yeah. plan or what what was the what was the vision? It's funny we we got going when we were in college in, in Dublin and you know we started to get a bit of a following and and we we were working part time jobs and we said you know what we'll give this thing a year and see what happens you know and we we were starting to get a little bit of a following and we said we'll give this thing a year and see what happens and about you know a month later we had we were getting so busy we had to give up our part time jobs and you know nine years later I'm here on the phone to you so. We, and we haven't had to work a real a real job in since at all, you know. So it is uh, we're very blessed and we love it. And but I mean, there wasn't really a plan as such. We were sort of making it up as we were going along. We just wanted to play music. We wanted to play to as many people as we could. I remember we said it would be so cool to play this festival. There's a festival over here called the Oxygen, and we just wanted to play at that. That was that was the height of our ambition, you know. And now we we've actually headlined it or been one of the headline bands on the main stage, you know. So. It's funny how, um, and every uh, you know, the goalposts change. Now we want to headline festivals in, in the states, you know, and now we want to play wherever, you know, and play different festivals in Europe. And we want to, you know, so the goalposts change and, and your ambitions change as as you keep going. But uh, yeah, we, we we still love it, and uh, and yeah, you know, we try and, and and keep our ambition sort of ignited, I suppose. <laughs> and do you find that you know, sonically, this new record is is very different than the first album? 
Um, Definitely. The, yeah. the evolution of the Corona sound is really something cool to trace. Did that, how does that, how do you feel about the, the sonic approach to what you guys are doing now compared to when you started in 2003? Yeah, absolutely. You're dead right. Because with the first record, it was more, I would write a song on, a, on an acoustic guitar and bring it to the guys. And before we were just, you know, a, a straight up four piece acoustic electric bass and drums. And we were sort of learning as we were going, but you know, to be honest, that, at the time, that was the music that we were really into. We loved like early Beatles, and we loved the Kinks, and we loved you know the Kooks and Arctic Monkeys and bands like that. And uh, as we sort of developed, our influences maybe have have developed as well. And also, you know, we just sort of wanted to push the boundaries a little bit with each album, and it felt natural. And you know, usually there was a song or two on the, on each album that would sort of bridge the gap to the next album. Like there might have been one song on the first album that led us to going a slightly different direction with the second album and then there might have been a song or two on, on the second album that we liked the sound of and we said you know we should go that way a little bit more with the third album and and that would lead on to the fourth and the fifth you know so it's sort of but at the end of the day it's still corona's you know there's even now with the, with the new album it, it's it, obviously it is sonically different and it's a bit more sort of understated and maybe mature i think at times and maybe atmospheric as you say but it's still got the Corona's, you know, staple. It's a three and a half minute pop song. It's got a chorus. It's got something that people can sing along to, and it's got honest lyrics. It's got emotion, and and they're still all the all the you know staples, I suppose, of, of Corona's music. You know, I, you know, it's funny. I grew up in San Francisco, and I grew up listening to Irish bands. So, like my favorite bands were. You know, Fat Lady Sings, Emotional Fish, That Petrol Motion. Cool. Um, I'm clearly from the 80s. But, for, but <laughs> yeah. for you, when you were growing up, were you listening to... I, I had this kind of like romantic vision of what life in Ireland was like. And I wonder for you as an Irishman, did you listen to American music or did you listen to Irish music growing up? It's funny, both. You know, I, I definitely didn't listen to... I, I would have been more into bands like that you're talking about. Like, I, I, I mean, I love like Glenn Hansard and The Frames. That was, it was like probably... The, 10 years after a lot of those bands. I mean, Jerry Fish is still around now, and the Monster Fish are a great band, but, um, you know, it was more like The Frames, Damien Rice, you know, and and, and then maybe even slightly earlier stuff, um, Tin Lizzy, you know, Van Morrison, as opposed to listening to, like, quintessentially Irish, like, folk music, for example, you know, that wouldn't have really been my thing. I was more into those guitar bands, like, that you're, you're talking about, and even maybe early U2 stuff as well, and, and uh, but but uh, but also seriously influenced by American music, and I think you can you can probably tell that more so on our first record than you can even on the new record, you know. So um, I think we were we were definitely influenced, you know. And I I you know love you know I suppose I'm trying to think of 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 bands initially who you know, but even even now. I mean, I suppose they're North American or Canadian, but Arcade Fire would be a band that I would look up to. There's an American band called The National that I love now and that influenced me now, you know. And, you know, there's there's loads of amazing music out there, but I think it wasn't... Uh, we tried not to think too much of whether it was Irish bands or whether it was, you know, American. I, I suppose it was just like... Maybe with some of the Irish bands, it was like, oh, cool, it can be done, like, you know. And, and we came along at a time when when Irish bands were starting to have some success, you know, and Snow Patrol were taking off, Damien Rice was getting huge, and, you know, and we, we were like, you know, maybe we can do this. And, and now there's a whole new wave of, of Irish music coming through. If you look at, like, Hosier and Gavin James, and, you know, Codaline, and, and there's there's so much great music out there, and, and we're just, you know, delighted to be still involved in the 
conversation. Are there um, influences in uh, literature that make it make it through to the songs as well? I think so. I think there's influences in everything. You know, I mean, I, I, I think it's funny. I think a lot, the new album is sort of influenced by me at sort of the age that I'm at now. I think in a weird way, I'm sort of 32 now, I'm early 30s, and sort of doubting myself like that. I didn't really have that. I didn't really doubt myself in my early 20s. You know. But literature, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love reading I read novels all the time. I read autobiographies, and I love reading about other musicians. And, you know, uh, Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers, his, his autobiography is one of my favorite books. Like, it's amazing. It's an amazing read. And um, I'm just obsessed with the Beatles, so I always, you know, eat through all their books as well. But, you know, and, and some fiction as well, I suppose. I, I don't know. I, I tend not to write too much, you know, sort of, philosophically if that is the right word yeah. but like yeah generally I, I try to derive from personal experience you know and and I find that when I'm most honest with my lyrics and I really just write about personal stuff that I'm just going through that's when more other people relate to my lyrics so I tend not to you know try to overthink things or write about politics or get too into you know, old literature or anything like that, or write about stories about, you know, history or anything like that. I, I tend to just write from a from a personal sort of, uh, you know, space within me. You know, I, w- I want to get back to you uh, doubting yourself because you're you come across as a very genial guy. You're very confident on stage. Where uh, is that doubt coming from? Because when we're younger, there's a kind of fearlessness, right? Where we don't maybe we're not we don't think to be doubt you know to be doubting ourselves at all, but. As we get older, we get smarter, and we realize, you know, the frailties of life. But where is your doubt coming from? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I think you're dead right. You know, I think it comes from just getting older, and and sort of like, can I say that? I think every writer goes through it. You know, when I was when I was in my early twenties, I would just write a song in a day, and I wouldn't care. I had this sort of, I wouldn't even say it was cockiness or confidence. It was just sort of like like not giving a shit what other people thought and I was like that's the song that's the way I was feeling that day and it doesn't define me you know and I'll write that and you know finish it and never go back to it never adjust it whereas now I'll write a song and I'll come back to it and I go is that line right do I really want to say that is that how I want to say that do I want to do I not want to say it a different way and uh, you know and spend a lot more time you know read you know doubt myself but I think some of the bands maybe doubt I mean we always have baby steps forward with Coronas and we moved up through the venues, like I said earlier on, and each album got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and we toured a little bit further outside Ireland, and we sort of developed our, cra- our crowd and our sound and everything. Until with the last record, we signed to a major label in the UK called Island Records, who are part of the Universal Universal Umbrella, and are really one of the biggest labels in the world. They have U2, Mumford & Sons, and, you know, Hosier, and, and just like like a huge label. Like, And, and we, all, we sort of thought that maybe this could be a big break for us to really break through, you know, and, and, and take a big step up and it didn't happen the way we hoped. And, and I think that sort of knocked me a little bit. And I was a bit like, okay, well maybe, you know, maybe what, what if it's not going to happen? And, you know, and so I think a lot of the lyrics are sort of about reminding yourself, like a song like we couldn't fake it. The first song in the album is about reminding yourself of why you do what you love doing and, and doing it for the right reasons and, and for your love of what you do and not worrying about the music industry side of things, you know. Covered in water They left me for dead 
out of myself Yeah, almost believe them song like give me a minute is you know about giving yourself some credit and, and and taking a minute just to go you know what you're, you've done well well done like to yourself and and sometimes you need that you know and that's what i was going through at the time and again when i was sort of looking at teams to write i mean i'll always write about relationships and friendships and stuff like that as well but like when i was sitting down okay what am i going to write about and of course the only thing i could write about and the answer was right there in front of me, what I'm going through at the moment. I'm going through self-doubt, right with that. And it's funny, the amount of people that have said to me about the lyrics on the new album, that they go, you know what, I know what you're going through with that. And I totally relate to a lot of the lyrics on, on the album. And, you know, I love the little positive spin that you put on feeling down. And, and I think that's sort of what I was trying to do with a lot of lyrics on the new album. You know, if you look at a song like It's Not What You Know, you know, it, it, it it's it's sort of nearly melancholic, but it's also got a little bit of positivity in it. Like, and the same with a song like, like it used to be, 
again, it's sort of, it's sad, but it's like, no, things are going to be all right. Like it ends with a little note of optimism, you know? And I, I think that's sort of, yeah, well noticed by yourself. But uh, that's basically what I was going for anyway. So now that things have worked out well, I mean, what happens to that, to that doubt? Is that something you kind of keep in the back of your brain or is that something that, yeah. what happens to it? <clears throat> it's funny. I was sitting in the car with my girlfriend the other day and our new single came on the radio and then, uh, which is give me a minute. It came on the radio and I was like, oh, this is, oh, it's cool. I still got a kick out of hearing this stuff on, <laughs> on the radio. And she says, oh, that's such a cool song. And I was like, and I got quiet for a second. She was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know. I just sort of worried. Maybe I won't write another good song like that. What if that's the last good song I write? Like, and she was like, Danny, like, stop. Like, you know, you have to give yourself credit. Like, just enjoy that. You know. So I think those doubts will never go away. There's always going to be a bit of that there. I think acknowledging them is the, is the is the is the key. Like, and then once you're aware that that is there, uh, um, it's 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 it, that's enough. Like, you know, and and it's it's okay to doubt yourself it's not like the doubts oh my god you can't doubt yourself you can't doubt yourself you know sometimes those things are the things that make us work harder and those are the things that make us better better writers better people like so it's not like okay i'm over that i'm over that little period of doubt in my mind people are always going to have doubts and i think that's why people relate to it as well and it's a thing that can just sort of come at you at any stage like you know it's you know and people might just feel a little bit low or whatever and but if you if you have i suppose ways or methods to sort of remind yourself you know what, i'm actually doing all right here and this has happened before and i'm going to get through it and i'll get through it before and it doesn't matter what happens we, you know maybe this album is going to go great maybe the gig in san francisco won't be amazing but it could be you know and and, it, and it's okay to think like that you know but i think yeah the most important thing is to, is is sort of to just acknowledge it you know have you always been the kind of person who's kind of in your head like that? Do you always have that sort of internal monologue uh, whispering to you? Yeah, I think so. I think, it, it, as I said, in my early 20s, I had much less of it. I'd be just a bit like, this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to write a song in 20 minutes, and that's going to be the song, and I'm not going to change it. And, like, you know, our guitar player might turn around to me and go, Danny, you don't think that that line is a bit cheesy? Like, I'm like, no, that's the way I was feeling at the time, and, you know, I'm going to leave that there, you know? Whereas I think now maybe the as I get a little bit older, maybe the internal monologue is is a little bit louder, and it might be a little bit like, "Can you say that? Is that okay to say that?" But um, I don't know. I, I don't know whether it'll get worse as I get older or get, or get you know less. I suppose, but um, it's not something that really bothers me. You know, I think everyone sort of has that sort of internal, you know, as you say, monologue or, or dialogue with themselves and. And it's it's not a bad thing. Like, again, like it's it's sort of acknowledging that that is there and that it's something sort of separate to you and it's something that's going on. It is is enough, you know. But I wonder if it makes us more discerning because if you look at you two, they put you know their first six albums out fairly quickly. Um, yeah. You know the Beatles, the first you know the first eight albums very quickly. And I wonder yeah. if the, you know, they're all in their twenties. I wonder if um, you know that sort of that youthful abandon where you have no inner monologue saying, "Hey, maybe you should pull back on that." Um, maybe as we get older, we become better at editing, and it slows us down a little bit. I, I definitely think so as well. And I, I would say, as I get older, yeah, I definitely write much less songs as I did when I was like. 20 early 20s but um i think i'm more critical like i would like to think that the quality is better you know maybe not the quantity is there but it might take me a little bit longer to get to the finish line but i'd like to think that 
the quality is better. Now, maybe it's not. I mean, that again, music, all music, all art is subjective. So people could argue that our first album is the best thing I've ever done. And that naive is, you know, that naivety was, was charming and was a strong point, you know, but, uh, um, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it's a, it's a thing for all writers, not just musicians. So I think as you get older, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about it in recent times, you know, um, about the early twenties of just like being so prolific and just writing, 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 just tr- it all flowing out of you. And then as you get older, you know, that can change, but it doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. I mean, I think if you look at Leonard Cohen, for example, some of his best stuff was in his like sixties, like, you know, and, yeah, you know, the, there's different ways to look at it. I think as long as you're you're trying to improve and you're learning from what you do, I think that's important. And you know, you know, maybe I'm just being uber positive because I am getting older. But I'd like to think that I still have a lot more in, in the well to give, even if I'm even if I do have moments of self doubt, if it is there, you know. Does it help when your girlfriend says to you, "Hey, Danny, you're all right," or does it have to come from you? That kind of makes you makes you feel better. Or does that help if she says that? Yeah, of course it does. I mean, I think I, I'd be lying if you if I said you know everyone has an ego. Everyone needs so it, sometimes it's nice to be acknowledged, like you know, and it, you just and and I, and it, yeah, I definitely think it, it helps, and it helps me being on the road and touring and and seeing the reaction of people react to these songs that I had doubt about when I wrote them, and all of a sudden people are singing every word back to give me a minute and. We couldn't fake it, and these are songs that when I write, when I wrote at the time, I was overthinking. Oh, I think it's good, but you know, maybe it's not. And people are singing them back more than songs in the early twenties. So of course it helps. And my girlfriend goes, "Yeah, I love that song. It's amazing." I'm like, "Yes, like you know." And, and of course, that's. I think I'd I'd be lying if I said no, no, no. It's all about just what I'm happy with, and it's it's all internal, and it's just you know, if you're proud of it, that's all that counts. You know, you have people that you respect their opinion, and you want to impress, and you and and you want to you want to get that acknowledgement from. And I, I definitely think that helps. Like you know, and, you know, I love your music because it's so honest and it's so emotionally. Like for example, like a song like "Real Feel," uh, which is, you know, I don't want to pick favorites, but right now that's my favorite uh, on the record. And it's just you know, it is it is very emotional and very but very positive. Yeah, it is. It has it has a positive thing. It's sort of. I wrote the song with my with my sister, and it was sort of we sort of I, I had the riff, and we, we, it's it sound it had the guitar part and the melody, and it sounded positive. And it's like, okay, well, what are we going to write the song about? And it's like, it feels like the start of something. It feels like the start. It feels like there's a little bit of excitement and po- optimism. And it's like, yeah, it's like the start of a relationship. You know, when you're sort of meeting someone, and it's like you get surprised by how cool they are and how nice they are, or whatever it is, and. And and that's sort of what that song is sort of about, and but it's definitely it's definitely one of the more optimistic songs on the album, and it sort of jumps out with with sort of it's a bit, I suppose, idealistic, I suppose as well, and it almost has a little bit of naivety that it's just like ah oh, you're great and this is easy, you know, it's sort of like about a relationship before you get past the initial stage of 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 what can happen down the road, and you know maybe you know there's there's other things that are going to happen and. And it and it's sort of unashamedly about that, and I think that was cool that it's just about that one little sort of moment in time, you know, um, where you just feel, you know, happy with someone in early days, and you're sort of excited, you know, and and and, and uh, it was my sister really Roshan who who came up with the phrase "real feel," you know, and I thought that was cool, like, and she was just like, yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but 
it sort of it does, you know, and uh, and uh, so I, I loved it. I loved it, and it, it was uh, yeah, it was a fun one to write, and it's a fun one to play live as well now, and it still has that sort of oh yeah, sing along vibe, you know. So I'm glad you like it. Yeah, and sonically, it reminds me a little bit of the psychedelic furs. I don't know if I'm way off base on that, but I was thinking. No, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't say you are. Like it sort of definitely. It was one that came together in the studio. I have to give a lot of credit to our producer, Elliot James. We demoed the song loads. We knew there was a song in there, but we just couldn't quite get it right. And uh, with the production, I think he, he had a lot of sort of synths and, and, and little subtleties of, per, of percussion and, and little bits and, and, and bobs. And it sort of just came together with the backing vocals and, and, and the vibes, you know, as you say. And yeah, I, I see that. And, you know, we're. Uh, we're, we're delighted with it, and you know it's it's getting a great reaction in the states overall. To be honest, we, it's a single that's that's getting played on radio over there now, and we're, and we're starting to get some college radio, and it's getting played a lot of play here as well. So, yeah, we're we're delighted with with, with how it's going.
were the Coronas as a studio band now? Are you a much more efficient machine or are you, is it the same as it's always been? Or have you noticed that you guys are definitely, there's an efficiency that wasn't there before? Definitely. I think it's funny, like recording can be, can be stressful. It can be high pressure. It can be, can bring out the best in people. It can bring out the worst and some good musicians, you know? And, you know, we have definitely improved on it over the five albums, you know, and now we'll have a moment where we can just look at each other and we know what each other's thinking and we might get to, you know, resolve a situation with a song in five minutes as opposed to when we were doing the first album, it might have taken us a day to, to get to this point and we might just go, you know what that needs is just that, that, that and that. And everyone just go, yeah, remember that'll do. And then I'll put the harmony on that one. And, you know, you have your little ways of, of doing things and you definitely do get more confident in the studio. And uh, personally, I love being in the studio. It's great. The time flies and I love seeing a song develop and trying to improve it and throwing little things here and there. And it's uh, it's one of my favorite things. And it's funny, when, when we tour for ages, I'm, I miss being in the studio. But then we're in studio for ages, I miss touring. And, then, and they are different and they sort of complement each other, you know, so it's great to be able to do both. Are you able to write on the road or is that a tricky process? I tend not to write on the road at all. Um, I, I'd i be lucky if I pick up the guitar apart from soundcheck or the gigs. Um, I like sort of lock myself away after uh, a tour is finished and sort of just taking some time apart, going to a quiet time, turn my phone off and just sort of, playing some music and seeing what comes out and I sometimes I do write in the road or write little bits of lyrics maybe if something a phrase or something comes to me or sometimes I'll write a little if a little melody comes to me but in general I tend not to write in the road it's just I like to when I'm not gigging I like to turn up turn off that side and and then just when the tour is finished I'll lock myself away and, and do my bit you know so um it's uh it, 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 yeah, that's just the way it is for me. Some bands right in the road. We will, oftentimes we'll work on a new song and sound check. We might just jam her away. If I have a bit of a song already written, and we might play it together, and a song might develop a little bit that way. But in terms of in terms of writing a song from scratch, I I very rarely write in the road. And yeah, it's just something that I'm never drawn to. I ne- I never like writing as a chore. Like I must write now, and that that doesn't bode well with me. I'd like to just go away for a while and if some music comes to me then it does and if it doesn't all right i'll go home and maybe try again next week you know and and that's seemed to work for me over the years you know so that means that this batch of songs on the new album they probably all came around the same time for the most part they did yeah for the most part they did we uh yeah they did i think uh, we had a batch of songs that we wrote early last year and I think only one of those songs actually made the final cut. You know, we maybe had six songs. I think one of those made the final cut. And then we wrote most of it over the summer. And we found that the, we thought that a couple of those songs were good, all right. But there's the newer stuff we were writing just re- kept replacing them. And, and, and the newer stuff was better. And we were in a better place because I suppose because we weren't rushing it. And I think that's the, the good thing that we have our own label now. And there isn't a record label breathing down our necks and saying, you know, we need an album in two months, you know, if if it wasn't ready when we went to record it, we would have delayed it longer, you know, and, and I think we're blessed that we, we have control over that and, and we're sort of, yeah, we can sort of, yeah, control our own destiny, I suppose. And now I, I understand now why Corona's albums feel so cohesive because the, the songwriting is around the same time period. It's not like you wrote a song four years ago and then 
you know, cobble it together with a song you wrote last year. They're all sort of around the same period, and there's a cohesion as a result. Definitely, definitely, I I, I agree with you. And even now, like I've got a few new ideas of songs, but I'm happy at the moment to just keep them as the bare bones of a song and and not go too much into them because I don't want to finish them until I'm in a bit more. You know, maybe even subconsciously, I know a bit more what the next album should sound like, and then I can work on them a bit more. If you get me, so when 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 we're down to do that, that's when that will happen, and and it'll come together as you say cohesively as a piece of work, as an album of work. So, you know, what was the story with? I know, I mean, you were on Island Records, is obviously U2's label, Bob Marley's mm-hmm. label, it's a legendary label. Your tenure there was, you know, fairly brief. What happened? Why did not that not work out the way that you had hoped? Well, I don't know. I suppose one of those things. We're another statistic of a major label. I think we were we were lucky in a lot of ways that we had a huge fan base in Ireland already. We had toured outside Ireland. We weren't putting all our eggs in the basket with the with the major label because we had heard the horror stories. And and to be honest, when we signed with with Ireland, we, I don't regret that. I think it was a good idea. We decided to roll the dice and see if we could, you know, come out and take a huge step forward and be a huge band. But you know. We knew that there was dangers with the label, and 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 basically it's the same thing that happened to ninety percent of bands who sign with labels is that they pay for the album and and they say they're going to do certain things, and you know they release released the first single and it didn't do as well as they could, and then they felt that their money was better spent on another new, you know, gamble as opposed to pushing, you know, a band, and and, and thankfully we had stipulations of the contract that if this stuff did happen we would get the masters back of the album and we'd be free to move on with our next record. And that ended up being exactly what happened. And I think it's worked out for the best. And I, I have to give a lot of credit to our manager and, and, and lawyer for putting those stipulations in, in the contract because a lot of bands go into signing with a major label and, and just, you know, sign their lives away. And, and even though they, the label doesn't want to work them, they can't actually go and record and do another album themselves because they're under contract. And, and their competition for the labels, other bands. So it's funny the way it, that happened. And but as I said, we we hadn't put all put all our eggs in, in that basket. We would sort of went into it with our eyes open. And and again, as I say, we don't regret it. We we learned a lot and, and made arguably our best album with the long way. It was the album before this, and you know it was probably our most successful album to date. Anyway, you know. Um, but it just it didn't work out with Ireland, and and uh, as I said, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. So we we took the masters and and released ourselves in lots of different territories, and and then started our own label with this one. And you know we're hoping that the label will outlast the band even, you know, and it might lead us to perhaps sign other bands, other artists, and seeing what happens down the road, you know. Well, you have great management because that could that can destroy a band. That can be such a negative. Uh, thing that bands can just dissolve under the weight of that of being trapped. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And uh, we are we're blessed that we had a good a good team around us. As I said, we were we were at the stage we were at a sort of good strong stage, and that we had a big following already in Ireland. We'd done three albums on an independent label in Ireland, and we knew how things worked. We knew what was going to happen. We knew the drawbacks of the possibilities going to measure. And, and we went in with our, with our eyes open, as, as I said, and, you know, and no regrets, you know, as I said, I think it made us better band. And we pretty much wrote, wrote the record about it, you know, and as I say, the song like we couldn't fake it is about, you know, focusing on, on, on your own, you know, on, on why you do what you love doing, why remind yourself why you love 
your job, why you love music, why, you know, wanting to be as good as you can be and, and, and remind yourselves of why you did it in the first place and, and not getting too caught up in the industry, in the music industry and stuff. And, and that's what that song is about. And, and lyrically, that's sort of, you know, a, a reoccurring theme, really, on Trust the War. Even the title track, just, well, the, look at all the lovers it's called, but the line is Trust the War. You know, you have to trust yourself and take a step forward and forget about everything else and, you know, hope that the war will be there to, to catch you.
what about Christmas? I know the, the Coronas have these legendary Christmas shows. Um, can you talk a bit about yeah. where that came from and how this year is looking? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it started for us. We did, uh, whenever when the first album came out, it was a Christmas show, and we, we did a big show of Christmas in, in the Olympia Theatre, which is this beautiful theatre in Dublin. And it went really well. And then the next year we did three nights. But on one of those three nights, the power went in the whole of Temple Bar, which is this area in, in Dublin where the Olympia Theatre is. And the, so the lights and the microphones and everything went in the whole venue during the show. And we continued the gig acoustically and people put started putting their torches on their phones up on us and they were singing the songs with us and we basically just busked the rest of the gig totally acoustically and it sort of went down you know a sort of this sort of i don't know this legendary night like that even though i know there was only 1800 people there because that's all the venue halls the amount of people that have said that they were there there must have been fucking 50,000 people in that room because the amount of people who <laughs> claim to have been there to see that um is mad and i just think since then there was always something special about those olympia shows and and the atmosphere in that room is just incredible, and, and you know people singing along. And I just think we're we're a Dublin band, we're a band of people, and every Christmas we go back and do a gig at home in, in our favorite venue. And, and and thankfully, you know, we're doing three this year, and they sold out in about twenty seconds. And I think people jump at the chance when when those gigs come up, and you know, it's it's just something magical about it. It's just the atmosphere, and it's hard to put your finger on it, but it's it's pretty special, like you know. So we're really excited about it. It's uh, one of the gigs we're going to do a, a sort of nod to our first album. It's 10 years since Heroes of Ghost came out. So we're going to play that album through, start to finish, I think, and, and then do some of the other songs. And, you know, it's just, it's going to be fun. And we're coming off the back of touring, you know, Germany, then the UK, then obviously in the States, and then straight after that, we're in Australia, and then we're going to come home to play these three amazing shows in our favorite venue in our hometown. So it's going to be such a great end to the year, you know. Does it uh, does it blow your mind to think that it's been ten years since that first album came yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, it's it really does. It's crazy because you know I said to my girlfriend the other day, it's like we uh, we haven't even worked <laughs> really. You know, we okay, we work hard, but we have a job that is we're so passionate about. We're so lucky, and you know, it's it's flown by because we're so happy. So it's it's uh, it's it's crazy, but it's it's awesome, you know. What are your uh, what's the future vision for the Coronas? It's hard to know, you know. I mean, I have I don't really try and think too far ahead. I hope we can tour more. I'd love us to to make ground in the states, you know. And I, I think we've started well, and I believe that we still can, you know. And I'm not saying we need to be the biggest band in the world, but I'd love to see us continue to tour and continue to work on 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 playing in bigger venues and. And, and develop and get more radio play and, and, and then who knows what happened with the next album maybe we might have a song that might break through and you know just because we've had a few records doesn't, doesn't mean that it can't happen for us like you know so I'm, I'm still optimistic that things can happen and, and fingers crossed they will you know so there you go that's the Coronas Danny O'Reilly what a great guy I think the Coronas are going to be just fine out there in the big, big world. If you want to visit those guys online and find out where in the world you can see them, because they play rather globally, which means they're bound to come not only to your town, but to your country, your continent. This band's everywhere. Uh, don't go to the coronas.com. That's some weird crystal site where someone's going to try to 
try to convince you they should do Reiki on you. I'll be touching you, but I won't really be touching you. But you'll be feeling the heat from my blood. Blech. You don't want that. You don't want to feel the heat from anybody's blood unless, unless that's your thing. But uh, at any rate, the Coronas, don't go to the Coronas.com. Someone else got there first with their weird crystals. Go to the Coronas.net. That's the way to go if you want to get in touch with the band and find out what their story is, where they're going to be, what new music they have coming out, the Coronas.net. Avoid the .com unless you want, uh, you know, to get rubbed with stones. Uh, I, th- I think they do that. I'm assuming that's what happens on that side. I'm not really sure. I took a quick look around, and I got nervous. I started to feel uh, like uh, I had entered into a portal that I would rather not be into. I'm sure it's fine. It's just not what I was looking for. That's all I'm saying. And I don't think it's what you're looking for either. You're looking for the Coronas, the Coronas. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening to Stereo Ember's The Podcast. Uh, If you want to be on the program, very easy. All you have to do is email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com, or find me on the Twitter palace, as I call it. At Ember's Editor is uh, my handle, and uh, I'm uh, I'm very easy to reach. I also am one of those guys that writes back. One of those guys, the writing back kind of guys. You know, the writing back kind of guys – they get all the girls. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like I met him, and he just wrote back a lot, and he was great. Uh, my thanks to the Coronas uh, for chatting with me today. Danny O'Reilly, fabulous fellow, and uh, looking forward to seeing that band in San Francisco. Also looking forward to seeing you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Who's my guest? I'm not telling you. I'll make you tune in and find out. But I will tell you this. He's pretty cool, and he plays guitar. How about that? Is that good enough? Is that enticing? You're th- I know you're thinking Jimmy Page, but go- it's not him. It's uh, somebody uh, younger. Let's just go with that. And uh, someone who did not play on Led Zeppelin 2. Okay? All right. Uh, let's finish things off with another Coronas track. Shall we do it? Let's do it. All right. Hey, thanks again for listening. And uh, if you want to visit Bombshell Radio's homepage, please do so, bombshellradio.com. If you missed some episodes of your favorite programming, just go to mixcloud.com slash addictionspodcast, and all of our programming will be there. Stereo Embers, the podcast, Radio Hootenanny, Jazzmatazz, The Heart Goes Boom, Ola's Cool Kitchen. Yeah, all of it. Okay? All right. I will see you next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, let's close things off with the Coronas, How Things Are. Enjoy it right here on Bombshell Radio. Time will help me out. And I could be more.
Pretend there's no one else around and who 